I'm going to preach short, at least for me anyway this morning, maybe not short for you, but a quick message from Ephesians chapter 2. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open there now. If you don't, that's fine. The verses will be on the screen behind me. But uh, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2. And we're just going to look at two verses this morning from Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. And this is what it says. This is God's word. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. I'm going to read it again. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Let me pray. God, we thank you that you are a God who speaks to us through your word. We thank you that you are the God who is in the business of transforming lives, of moving people from death to life, and that we get to celebrate that this morning. We get to celebrate your work of transformation in people who are baptized today. And so we rejoice in that. We give you all the glory for it because it is all of your work. And we pray as we come to the scriptures now, you might give us soft, humble hearts to hear what you are saying to us, that you might continue to transform us for your glory. And those who agreed said, Amen. Last year, I uh, had a, um, a surgery on my left knee, had a knee reconstruction because of a soccer injury I'd had. And I, was, I didn't quite go to plan. I was in bed for three weeks. I was on crutches for seven weeks. And I had a fair bit of um, deconditioning at that point. My left leg was fairly wasted. I hadn't used it for a long time. And, you know, I was kind of eating lots of burgers and just your usual, you know, ice cream, chocolate. And, and I discovered that the 7-Eleven across the road from my office has fresh Krispy Kreme donuts every day. And that was fairly tempting. And so I wasn't able to do any exercise for a good six months but I'd just been, you know, eating lots and enjoying Christmas and all that kind of stuff. And at the beginning of this year, I thought, you know what? I need to get back into shape. I need to get fit. I need to get my conditioning back. I need to strengthen this leg. And so I rang a good buddy of mine who's a strength and conditioning coach. And I said, look, I'm out of shape. Can you help me? And so I booked in an appointment. I went round and he did a whole bunch of tests on me. He did a test um, to, to measure me, to weigh me. He did some skin fold tests. He did lipid tests and blood glucose and all this kind of stuff. But the final test he did was he said to me, all right, take your shirt off and take a photo of you. Take a photo, turn around, take another photo. He goes, I'll take another one in six months' time and we'll check the results. And of all the tests I did, like normally the skin fold test is the one that you're kind of a bit nervous about. I was nervous about the photo, but I'm not nervous about the first one. I'm nervous about the one at the end. And the thing I'm worried about, right, is that when I get to the end of my six months, there's not going to be much difference between the before and after picture. Because what I really want is like, I want the after picture to look something like Vin Diesel or The Rock, right? That's, that's secretly what I'm hoping for, even though it's a dream that will never come true. But I want to see that happen at the end. The problem is that when the alarm goes off in the morning, I just want to hit snooze and I'm tired and I had a late night and the kids are up and I'm not motivated and transformation is hard work. But we love it, don't we? We're a generation that loves to believe the idea that we can transform ourselves. That's why Australians have fallen in love with TV shows like The Biggest Loser. We love watching that journey of transformation of those people not only transform the, the outward physical side of their bodies, but they transform themselves emotionally as well and 
such a wonderful journey to watch. We love the idea of transformation. And I want to tell you this morning that the God we worship is a God who is in the business of transforming lives. And when God is done with us, when you take a look at the before and the after picture, the difference is not just kind of average or okay or pretty good. The difference is staggering. right? The difference from that verse that I just read out to you, the difference is from death to life. That's the before and after picture that we get from this verse. And so what I want to do this morning is paint a picture for you of what it looks like. I want to paint a picture of what, what we were. And then I want to paint a picture of who we are because of what Jesus has done. And so here is the before picture. Right? This is what Paul says, writing to the church in Ephesus. This is the before. This is what we were. Verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses... God made us alive together with Christ. That picks up on the opening verses of Ephesians chapter 2 where he says there, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead. You know, it takes us back to Genesis chapter 2 even further where God said to Adam and Eve, you are free to eat of any tree in the garden, but do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for if you do so, you will die. And then the enemy comes to Eve and he lies to her and he says, you won't surely die. And so they take and eat. And it's a half truth because they don't die, at least not immediately. But death comes and they don't experience the presence of God forever like it was originally intended. And so whilst they may not have died physically at that point, there was certainly an inward spiritual death that occurred. The moment that Adam and Eve ate that fruit and rejected God's good law. In fact, in Romans chapter 6... Paul says that our sin earns us death. Our sin earns us death. And so we are dead. Dead in our trespasses, stuck in our sin, unable to change ourselves. There's no, there's no um, get fit program for this. There's no strength and conditioning coach that can help us. We're stuck and we're completely dead. I had a good friend of mine who was driving home from work one day and he, he noticed a, a man lying face down on the nature strip on the side of the road and he saw that another guy who was walking his dog across the other side of the road had kind of spotted him as well and so he pulled his truck over and he hopped out and they both went over to this man and they tried to see if he was alert and responsive and he wasn't and so they rolled him over and they found that this guy's in a really, really bad way and my, my friend is like really bad. He watches any sort of medical show and he, he has to excuse himself. And so he's freaking out at this point, calls the police, the fire brigade, the ambulance, calls everyone. The other guy, I think he begins to administer CPR. And this guy turned out had passed away. The circumstances were a bit shifty. And so my, my buddy had to go to court and give evidence about what he had seen. And, but here is a man who is lying on the side of the road, dead, unable to help himself. Maybe if there was a, a paramedic there who could use the paddles of life or give him an objection of something or perform CPR earlier than what they had, maybe he stood a chance, but in and of himself, he's dead. And Paul says that is our condition spiritually. We were dead. That's the before picture. That is who we were. You know, every single person, all of you, all of humanity... 
We are more than just material, physical creatures. There is a spiritual dimension to us. And so we may be very much alive physically and materially, but spiritually we can be very much dead. There's a movie, an old one now called Dead Man Walking. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. I'm kind of betraying my age because it was released the year I finished high school. And the stars of the movie are Sean Penn and Susan Sarandon. And it depicts a, a true story of a nun who, who walked through the death row journey of a prison inmate who was on death row for rape and murder. His name is Matthew Ponsolet. And there is this scene at the end of the movie as the prison guards come and they take him out of his cell and they walk him from his cell to the execution chamber where they will hook him up to an electric chair and he will be electrocuted and die. And as they take him out of the cell, they put handcuffs on him and one of the prison guards says, Dead man walking! Dead man walking! And then they walk him through the prison to the execution chamber. What a profound statement. I mean, he's alive, right? He's not dead yet. And yet here is a man whose life is almost so close to the end. He has got nothing left. His future is imminent. Very much alive, but he is a dead man walking. One of my favorite bands, a band by the name of Rise Against, has a song and it starts off with these words. Simply because you can breathe doesn't mean you're alive or that you really live. And we know that to be true, I think. Just because we've got a pulse, just because we breathe, doesn't necessarily mean that we're alive, truly alive. And, and I don't think it matters what worldview you come from. We know that on the outside you can be alive and on the inside you can be dying or completely dead altogether. And if we're really honest with ourselves... We need help. We need God's help. But our problem is we live in a self-help world, don't we? Where we just Google all of our solutions. If we've got a problem, Google is our doctor. We just go there and we're self-help people. We're so self-reliant. We're dependent. And we believe that we can change ourselves. And there's a good element to that. When we are overweight, we go see a personal trainer. When we have a career crossroads, we go see a life coach. When we are wrestling with mental illness, we go to a counselor, a psychologist, and we help, we get help to change ourselves. But what happens when inside we are spiritually dead? Where do we go? Who do we ask for help? In a recent survey by social demographer Mark McCrindle, they found that most Australians had areas of lack in their life. When it came to financial security, most Australians felt like they could do with a little bit more money. When it came to time for social life, most people felt that they could do with a little bit more time. When it came to family and friends, most people felt they could have a bit more of that. But when it came to the area of spirituality, most Australians had a, a very small cup, about the size of a thimble, but felt completely like that cup was overflowing. And all it takes, right, for most people is you read a a nice inspirational Instagram quote or you read something in the newspaper, whatever it is, on Facebook and it fills you up for the day and you're ready to charge the day. And, but the reality is, friends, that this verse tells us that we're dead. That's the before picture. That is who we were until God 
intervened. So let me show you the after picture because this is what God does. Go back to Ephesians 2 verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Made us alive. Last Sunday, Brian mentioned we celebrated Resurrection Sunday, that God raised Jesus from the dead. And the thing is that what God has done in Jesus, He also does for His people. That He has made us alive by faith in Jesus. We are united with Him and we are made alive in Christ. That transformation that God has worked is one from death to life spiritually. The prophet Ezekiel has a beautiful picture of this transformation in chapter 36. He talks about this heart of stone that is hard and immalleable and irresponsive to God. And when God transforms us by His Spirit, He gives us a heart of flesh which is soft and responsive and full of faith. That is the inner transformation that God works in us to give us life. This is life, true life as it was intended to be experienced. Life in the presence of our God and our Creator and our Maker. Life experiencing relationship, reconciliation, peace with God. This is life. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. Have life to the fullest. This is the life that God gives us. And transforms us to have. And this life is life forever. This is life with a sure and certain promised future. That God, just as he raised Jesus from the dead, will raise us as well. That we don't need to worry about what happens next because God has promised us. Jesus, the first fruits, has risen again and you will as well. This new life is a life of hope. And because of that certain hope, it means that life now is a life of purpose and significance and meaning and direction. This life is not aimless. This life is not left feeling empty, feeling purposeless. Because we now know we have a creator who has loved us and he has rescued us and saved us and given us a certain future. And this life has meaning now. In fact, a bit, a bit later on in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul will go on to say that we are God's masterpiece. We're his artwork. And he's made us in Christ to do good things which he prepared in advance for us to walk in. Friends, that tells us that God has a purpose. He has a plan. He has planned out things for us to do good things that would be a blessing to others. Good things for the sake of his name and his kingdom. This life is a life of purpose. It's a life of hope. It's a life of experiencing the presence of God. And this life is a life that is free. Free from the sin that once trapped us. Free from the the sin that bound us, chained us. We've been set free now. Free from the power of sin. Free from the penalty of sin. That Jesus took our sin and was nailed to the cross that we died with him and that we were raised with him in new life, free from the penalty and the power of sin. This life that we've been made alive for by God's transforming power is an empowered life. 
Jesus says in John 6.33 that the Spirit is the giver of life. The Holy Spirit gives us life. And we have, by faith in Jesus, the Spirit of God living inside of us, bringing life to us. See, the Christian life is not one of, I must work hard, I must transform myself, I must do these things to earn the, the approval of the Father. No, the Christian life is one of continued dependence on the Spirit of God to transform us and change us and make us more and more like Jesus. This is the empowered life. And finally, this life is a joy-filled life. Not merely just a happy life, because happiness is dependent on circumstances, but joy. Joy transcends circumstances. And I have seen joy in people in the midst of the darkest circumstance you can imagine. Because they know these things to be true. That they have a God who loves them. That they have a God who has worked his glorious purposes to send Jesus to die for them and guarantee them a future. There is a joy that transcends any circumstance for these people. This is the life that we have. Life that is enjoying God's presence, relationship. Life that is full of hope. Life that is full of purpose and meaning. Life that is full of joy. We have been made alive by what Jesus has done. Friends, if we're created in the image of a relational God, then knowing that God is as good as life gets, it was the way it was originally intended to be. And Jesus says, I have brought you from spiritual death to life, to knowing him. But you know, too often I think, particularly those in the church, those who would say they are Christians, too often I think we, we know all too well what we've been saved from. We're like, yeah, I was saved from sin. I was saved from death. That is what I was. Well, what were you saved for? I was saved for eternal life. And so we wait twiddling our thumbs for heaven and think that is what it means to be a Christian. Friends, no, it is far more than that. It is life now in experiencing and enjoying God, joy filled with hope and purpose. There is so much more than just waiting for heaven to come. This is the life that God has rescued us for. You know, I remember the moment that God awakened me moved me from death to life. It was a September evening, 1996, in the church car park at St. Matthew's Anglican Church in West Pennant Hills. I'd felt dead inside for so long, pursuing things that just left me empty, seeking for approval in things that never really satisfied. I felt dead inside. And it was someone who opened this very verse of Scripture from Ephesians chapter 2 and talked about what God has done by His grace. And that Sunday, God brought me to life. And honestly, I have never been the same since. That is a defining moment for me. And I'm still recovering from the grace of God in 1996. God moved me from death to life. And for every single person who gets baptized this morning, whether they remember that moment or not, there has been a moment where God awakened them on the inside. He moved them from death to life. He transformed them. And friends, that's a miracle. That is the work of God and it is an entire miracle to move someone from death to life.
And so that's the picture. That is who we were. This is who we are, alive, spiritually. But the question I want to ask is, why has God done that? Why would God act in such a way? I wonder if you caught it there in verse 4. Come back to the verses with me. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, made us alive. It is by grace you have been saved. It's because of the great love of God. That's why God acted. Because his love is immeasurable. In fact, in Psalm 103, the psalmist says this. He says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the love of God for us. As high as the heavens are above the earth. You know, scientists tell us that they don't even really know how far the edge of the observable universe is. They estimate it's about 47 billion light years from the surface of the earth to the edge of the galaxy. 47 billion light years. Now, in case that doesn't mean anything to you, one light year is 10 trillion kilometers. And so you multiply 47 billion by 10 trillion and you get an error on your calculator because it doesn't work when you try and figure that out. But what he's saying is, this is how vast God's love is. It is immeasurable. It is immense. It is infinite. And this is the great love that God has loved us with. A little bit later on, Paul will pray for this church in Ephesus and he'll say, I pray that you have power to grasp, to get, to understand, to experience how high and how deep and how wide and how long is God's love for you. It's infinite. God has loved us with a great love. Friends, this is the reason that God has moved us from death to life. God was not constrained to act out of duty, but free to act out of love and grace and mercy because he loved us. I wonder if you know that love today. I wonder if you know God like this. A God of love, a God of mercy, a God of grace. You know, for every single person, deep down what we really need is to be known and to be loved. And there is no one who knows you better than the person who created you. And there is no one who loves you more than the person who would willingly sacrifice his one and his son so that you might have life. Friends, do you know the love of God this morning? That his love for you is immeasurable. So often our view of God is shaped by so many different things. Maybe if you're the Simpsons and South Park generation, they've been your chief theologians and shaped your view of what God is. Or maybe the Sydney Morning Herald and opinion articles have been what has shaped your view of God. Or maybe your experience of church or Christians have shaped negatively your view of God. But friends, this picture we have here in Ephesians chapter 2 is a true view of God. He is a God of love. He is a God of grace. He is merciful. Do you know God like this? Do you know his love? Have you experienced it? Have you received his transforming power? Because God is in the business of transforming lives. I wonder this morning if you are truly alive. Like I don't mean you've got a pulse and your lungs are working. I mean, 
in your spirit, are you truly alive? Because God wants to take our sin-dead lives and make them alive in Christ Jesus. And he doesn't say, if you want to come to me, go sort yourself out, fix yourself up and then come. He says, no, stop trying to help yourself. You can't do it. Let me help you. Let me do the work of transformation on your behalf by sending Jesus to pay for your sin and rise again and give you life. My hope for every single person here this morning is that you would leave here today knowing this. If you forget everything that was said, know this. God loves you and he wants to transform your life. God loves you and he wants to transform your life. So are you really alive this morning? Are you living a joy-filled life of purpose and peace and hope and significance If you're a Christian, is that you? Or are you just twiddling thumbs, waiting for God to come back? Are you really alive? It's so easy, isn't it, to think that we do the transforming, that we do the work. God says, no, let me do it for you. The thing that God requires of us, he does for us in Christ. He makes us alive. And so this morning, as we baptize people, this is a demonstration, a symbol of the transforming power of God. That as people are buried with Christ, as they go down under the waters of baptism, they are raised with Christ as they come up. This is a picture of the transforming power of God. And He does it all. It's all of Him and none of us. And so we're going to celebrate this morning miracles Every single person is a miracle that God has worked new life. He has awakened a dead spirit in them. And so at Anchor Church, we love celebrating the miracle of new life. And so we're going to do that this morning. We're going to celebrate. We're going to party. We're going to rejoice. And so in a second, I'm going to pray. The band is going to come out. We're going to get a bunch of guys in the pool. We're going to baptize them. And we're going to, as you watch this, what I want you to see is God is the one who is powerful to transform lives. And our prayer and hope is that he does that for you. Let me pray. God, I thank you that you are the God who is in the business of transforming lives, that you move us from death to life by the power of Jesus, by his resurrection. We rejoice, God, in what you do. And God, as we watch these people get baptized now, we we rejoice in your work in their lives specifically. And may it be a reminder to us, God, that it is you who transforms lives and moves people from death to life. We rejoice in this work, God. We give you all the glory, praise and honor that you deserve for every good thing. And God's people said, Amen.